Somebody must have died. Why? There's a limousine out front. Oh. Hey, you didn't say anything about a limousine last night. Well, Ron said he was sending a car, but he didn't say anything about a limo. I'll tell him I'll be right down. Ron? Oh, Ron. Hey, Ron. Maybe. you run and tell your mommy that Mr. Richardson is here. Stay right here. I'm not supposed to let strangers in the house. Yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. Well, you sound like a pretty handy guy. tonight on Miami. I'm just happy to hear that uh, Point Break Dave is winning again because I know that at one point we were worried he was going to get tired of winning because he <laughs> was winning so much. But he's back. We may, uh, it may be time to bring back live sports updates on the podcast <laughs> that people can hear four days later because I got some sweats going right now. Well, one of them is is probably not Golden Knights three star zero. No, I did not have any action on that. I had enough yeah, rooting you interest. Clear. Yeah, you got enough bias in your life. You need you don't need to create it in in sports betting. <laughs> exactly. Boy, yeah. Let's uh, let's do that. Let's do that show. Point Break Dave, hour unfiltered on the Portland protest. Let's go there. <laughs> we go to Chaz, and we're ranking the races. Okay, so here's my here's my sign the screen political commentary of the day. As you guys know, I try to avoid talking politics because I feel like no good can come from it. So say what you want, but that's just my own philosophy. But what I do try to adhere to is to at least attempt to hold a consistent viewpoint. And I find it really funny that uh, all the people that were sending and tweeting the short video clip of the guy setting his pants on fire in the Portland protest and then running all over the place when people started sharing the meme or not, or not meme sharing the video of the boat sinking in the Trump flotilla. We're like, Hey, 
that could have been really dangerous. Um, I don't think that's anything to joke about. It's like, hey, let's hold a consistent viewpoint. My consistent viewpoint is both of those videos are hilarious. Uh, yeah, I would say so. And especially knowing that no one drowned down at Lake Travis this weekend. And I assume that guy's burns were maybe of the... Hopefully not the third oh, second degree. Second degree at worst. I, I think second degree. He did. He had a nice kick dance going. That was my favorite part. Hey, in the Attitude Era, Kane set himself on fire like three or four different times. And now he's mayor, and he's doing just fine. Yeah, he's mayor of Knoxville County. and he's That's doing, right. He's got his own wrestling school. That I'm going to go to next time I visit Tommy. Yeah, well, speaking that, of, good Dave transition. has very quickly ratcheted up two visits after sitting out for almost two years, has ratcheted up two visits to Franklin, Tennessee in less than 14 days. Making up for lost time. That's right. These two, is. These two were, on a not, were not speaking to each other, wouldn't even look at each other on the podcast <laughs> as we record. And now Dave's like, I got to get up there. And as many times as possible to, to save this deal. Well, this, this is not the podcast we're going to do today, but do you know the circumstances of Dave's visits up here? I know that racing is involved. Let's just say that after a decade-long hiatus, the racing team is up and running again. How many cars? And not only that, the racing team is up and running successfully again, as in two weekends, three checks have already been obtained by the racing team. Is this a, is this a Nova that's driving or being driven? This is. This well, is one, the, of the, one of the two of us was driving it. Right. <laughs> this is the the good other old, one was just holding on for dear life. <laughs> the good old 72 Nova, which made a perilous journey towing it up to uh franklin a couple weeks ago after it had not been down the track in like tommy said a decade and we got there and we both kind of looked at each other like who's about to make the first run in this thing (laughs) who's about to shake this thing down and it's like when they bring the big check out at the restaurant and everybody's kind of feigning like they're reaching for it but nobody's being real aggressive about it so competition well what track around here would you compare it to this is probably probably a easy a light version of kennedale in its heyday okay i would say yeah facilities are nicer but similar yeah nicer but similar but competition level probably a little weaker but not weak but maybe a little weaker than the heyday of kennedale you guys are back. This is this is breaking breaking news. Oh yeah, kinda, I, you know I'm going to add this to the, the show notes list. But the amount of hoops you have to jump through to run a successful racing operation out of an HOA subdivision, <laughs> I could do a ma- I, I I probably should do a master class. Like they'll stop showing you the one for Franklin's barbecue and start showing you Tommy 2.0 explains how to run a racing team out of an HOA subdivision. So where is the race car being kept? In your garage? The race car is in the garage. The tow vehicle and trailer and some support equipment are at a storage facility at a location of my choosing. 
<laughs> but finding a storage facility for that type of equipment is very difficult, which mm. I didn't realize. I just thought you could just call a place and they'd say, great, bring it on down. That's not how it works in any shape or form. They want to see inconvenient things like titles, <laughs> proof of insurance. They're not real happy about you storing gasoline, hazardous materials. It's a, it's a little bit trickier than you'd expect. And apparently, finding an outdoor spot to park a vehicle is next to impossible. Those don't exist. Really? And I know what you're thinking. You're just like, well, why don't you just park it at Kroger? <laughs> <laughs> just rotate the Krogers every 24 hours. Do you think Kroger would catch on if I just, like, moved it to a different spot every day on my way to work? <laughs> just <laughs> stopped off, over. moved it. Yeah, so this, this tow vehicle is a 1999 Chevy Suburban with most of the paint on the hood and roof gone. It has... As of Saturday night coming home, 277,000 miles on it. And my theory is if I left that sitting in my driveway or in front of my house, that the impound lot would be called within probably conservatively four hours. So I knew right away I was going to have to find a place to park this thing outside of the HOA. And that is no easy task. I'm paying more to park it than the vehicle is worth. <laughs> so, Glenn, let me... Because you have recently gone to Franklin. I have. I think, I think the similarities between myself and the city of Franklin are high. Because as Tommy likes to joke, he jokes that I'm actively trying to get COVID with the life I lead. And you know who does not care anything about COVID is Franklin, Tennessee. <laughs> not we, a mask in sight. Not a mask in sight. Or certainly at the racetrack, no mask in sight. And then while I was there, I got the little uh, notification on my phone because I had frequented the Lifetime Fitness down the street. Obviously. Get a little notification. It's like, hey, just so you know, mask band. Done. We're not doing it. Don't even bother wearing it. Like, everyone fakes it. They wear it when they walk in the gym, and then when they start lifting, they take it off anyways. So they're just like, right. oh, we don't care. Don't You don't even have to fake it anymore. No, here, if you show up in a business with a mask on, they kindly ask you to take it off. <laughs> they have somebody stationed at the door to tell you to please take that off. It's ridiculous. Yeah, we would like you to transmit various diseases amongst one another. Because it's not just COVID out there, guys. There's other things, too. Flu season is approaching quickly. Have you got the flu shot? Not yet, but I'll get it. Yeah, I will, too. Well, my children are back in in-person school, and my son has already been booted out of school and forced to get a COVID test before he was allowed to resume his learnings for okay. basically coughing a couple of times in front of the school nurse. No fever, no other symptoms, completely fine, and had to miss two days of school while we were sitting there riding out waiting the test result to come back. Well, okay. Uh, to I, my point, what, what are we going to do when, you know, November through next February comes around and that's what half the kids are doing constantly is coughing and sneezing? 
in my in my head this scenario played out with Tommy Jr. You know, forty feet down the hall, lets out a little light cough, and here here comes the school nurse running around the corner, spears him like Roman Reigns, and drags him out of the school. <laughs> She did deliver a bro kick. I don't know what that was about. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, we're a, uh, I guess we should introduce the show. We're only 10 minutes in. So this is uh, Where to Turn Pod. Uh, you can find us. Uh, man, I've messed this all up. Or tell me where to turn, and you can find us at Where to Turn Pod. I thought you changed the name of the show. <laughs> we should. Have, we should. You know, maybe more people would want listen if we did that. You can find me on Twitter at Tommy Two Underscore Zero. Uh, you can find me at Glenn Three Underscore Eleven. You can also find Glenn playing for the Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tyson looks just like you, man. Yeah, I know. I've been. I've been told. So he's like he. You're like the doppelganger in the middle. You've got much shorter doppelganger and Daniel Bryan, and then and Daniel Tees is your uh, or Tice or however you pronounce it is your tall doppelganger. That's right. Yeah, and and I'm glad to see you're taking everybody to the gun show today. Good for you, <laughs> doing the Lord's work. Yeah. Hey, it's uh, what is today? Today's Tuesday. Yeah. But this show will be released on Fat Arm Friday. So it's okay. Tank Tuesday is in there effect right now. Well, that, that works too. And you can find me at point break underscore Dave. So following on the heels of our successful trilogy of movie reviews, we are going to go back to the movie well again for 1983's Mr. Mom. And I have to tell you, I love this movie and I already did before we're doing it. So if either of you guys are going to bring any negativity to this show, I'm going to enter my safe space now because... This is one of my favorites, and as we get through this movie and walk through this movie, I'm going to say that having not watched it in a long time, I've noticed that my tastes in comedy have matured because I know, you know, as a young person, even as a, you know, a kid watching this movie, all the funny memories I have are of the more slapsticky pieces, you know, the goofy Olympics and different things we'll talk about. But now watching it as an adult, the sexual tension <laughs> in comedy in this movie was so great and completely lost on a young version of Tommy. This movie, I think most families kind of have those like, you know, maybe five movies that your family watches constantly. This was definitely one. So like Tommy, have memories from my childhood, watched it again several, like many times as an adult. This movie's absolutely perfect, like in every way. Do you want me to start with the first shocking note of the podcast? Yes. Uh-oh. Before today, I had never seen this movie. <laughs> oh, no. How did you grow up and miss this? This should have been right in your wheelhouse. I know. And I was familiar with aspects of it. I'm sure I've seen like a bit here and there just because it's on and you. I knew what it was, but I had never sat down and watched the entire thing. Well, I'm going to love walking through this with you. It was released in 1983. It made $64 million domestically, which may not sound like a lot in today's dollars, but in 1983, that was a huge success and uh, actually made it one of the top 10 biggest grossing movies of the year. So um, another interesting fact about this movie is the 
the original screenplay was written by a guy named John Hughes. Are you familiar with the, his fine work? Definitely. So legendary director, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, 16 Candles. He directed the Home Alone movies, I believe. Uh, he wrote the original script from this movie, and it was actually loosely based on an experience he had watching his two kids when his wife was out of the, out of the picture for a, a b- amount of time. There was some, in, as typically happens with movies, the script got bounced around, it got rewritten. He was actually at one point on to direct it. He had a very odd disagreement of why he didn't end up directing the movie that he wrote, but he ultimately did not direct this movie. So he... Um, he uh, parlayed the success of the screenplay into a three-picture deal that re- resulted in some of those hits that I mentioned earlier. But I don't know if you guys did this research, but do you know the reason why he did not direct this movie? Mm. No, I don't know the answer. I don't want to hazard a guess. It's a very strange reason. So he is from and in love with the city of Chicago, which makes sense. Home Alone was set there. Right. He wanted to film the movie in Chicago, and the studio wanted it filmed in Hollywood for to keep cost control down. And that was the reason that they finally got to such an impasse that he opted out of directing the movie because he didn't want to film it in Los Angeles. Wow. Which is awesome because it takes you down another rabbit trail, which is this movie, which is one of the great things about this movie, is set in Detroit during the 1980s Depression. And when you look up film goofs there's like scenes where there's clearly palm trees visible on streets and <laughs> things that like never happen in detroit and then if you really get into it there there's a lot of uh because all the exteriors everything was shot in california and people that really have too much time on their hands point out you know even even more subtle things like uh the the numbers for the houses are on the curb which doesn't exist in detroit because there's always snow piled up so the numbers are always on the houses well, I mean, it, it, all the houses there are vacant anyway, so it, wow. it's really... Yeah, and 8 Mile hadn't started yet, and uh, <laughs> at Ron Richardson's estate, there's like clearly mountains in the background, and there's no mountains in Detroit. So there, there, was, a lot of, there was a lot of just continuity issues about the fact that they filmed this movie in, in Hollywood versus, um, versus in Detroit. But So being a, a movie director that won't go to Los Angeles, is that a strong move? <laughs> Well, yeah, I know. I mean, that's kind of what I feel like you are. You're a race car driver, but you refuse to go to the track. So it's kind of the same thing. Hey, I've flown up there twice now for this. <laughs> I think before I even push play on this thing, um, looking today, the first thing that stuck out it was a big positive was length of movie, one hour and 30 minutes. And that's how it should be these days. Unless you're making uh, some kind of war movie, some kind of true story Every movie should be like 100 minutes or less. No I no, no fluff. Get yeah. through it. We're done. Especially for some of the movies from the 80s that didn't seem like they had very well editing jobs. This movie, like, they're like, we can encapsulate what it's like to be father with kids in about two scenes. You know, there's a morning scene and then there's a during the day scene and you got it. You're done. That's what it is. We don't need to show it over and over and over. No, that's a good point. They didn't create, you know, the scenes had to be somewhat embellished and exaggerated to get the point across. Um, and we'll get to it, but there's a very much of a, uh, there's no way all these things are going to happen the same day to anyone. 
but but you know you get it all in one scene and you're done with it you don't drag it out for 45 minutes we're like yeah we get it he's not that great at this <laughs> so, so let's start walking in? through the movie let's do it and I've seen this so many times. I just enjoyed watching it again, but I went really deep down the continuity rabbit hole a few times and was very uh, gratified sexually to learn that a lot of the things that I picked up on my own had been well documented on other websites as I started to do some post-movie research. Can I uh, start with one that happens in this first scene? Please. I only... I didn't go down the rabbit hole. I just made a note of things I saw. So the morning, the movie starts with kind of like the morning sequence. Carolyn is the mom. It's showing her getting up first, kind of, you know, she's helping Jack, who is played by the great Michael Keaton, get ready. She's feeding the fish. She's waking up the kids. She goes to the nursery, turns on the light, says good morning. So this is her first entry into the nursery. She walks in. The baby's in the crib with a full bottle, just (laughs) drinking it. Is that what you were going to... Oh yeah, that, no, that's definitely that's definitely on my list. The baby has a full bottle and just sitting there drinking it. I had WTF. He also he he also is waking up and he he's so dead tired he like can't get out of the bed. The wife's having to make the shower for him. It says eight a.m. on the alarm clock. <laughs> Dude, he had a rough night, man. He's yes, he's he's so he's so tired. He gets in the shower with his pants on. Weren't you kind of sad, though? Because when he was undoing the robe, we're like, all right, we're going to get some Michael Keaton. Get the thermos out early, which is always a good start to those kind of movies. I love that as he's getting ready, he has on a three-piece suit to go work on the assembly line. Well, he he supervises. Yeah. He wasn't. He was an engineer. Yeah. So they're going. They're going through their morning routine. There's some little jokes. He, He squirts the baby's bottle in his coffee. But he hears the beep out front, and he's got to go to the carpool. And the comedic genius that is in this carpool, <laughs> the great Jeffrey Tambor, yes, his bo- playing his boss, whose name is Jinx, which is also awesome, <laughs> and the great Kiss- Christopher Lloyd, who plays, I believe, Stan, or is yes. he Larry? Okay. No, uh, he's Larry. You're right. And he's got fairly normal hair compared to everything else he's ever been in. But this this first morning scene also clearly establishes that Carolyn does everything. Yes. Yes. Like all Jack had to do was get out of bed and get into the shower without clothes on and he And she turned the shower that. on for him. Yeah. Who gets does anybody get your shower ready? Like, let's no. be honest. We're all watching like the Carolyn setup sounds pretty nice. Like, I'd be on board with that. Go to these first two minutes, and you're like drawing it up on the telestrator. It's like, this is you, dude. This is where you go. The so, other great thing, hold on, I want to interject here. Because yeah. I actually had this proposed one time. Have you ever had a coworker, this is your actual life, propose, why don't we carpool to work every day? Because I had a guy that lived fairly close to me one time, like, very strongly for several weeks. Like, hey, man, you know, we could just trade off picking each other up. And I was, I gave him the, that's a hard pass for me. <laughs> I know people that have done that that have a, a lengthy commute that they were going close to an hour each way. But if you're talking a standard 
20, 25 minutes or so. Yeah, I'm good. But then you're you're on their schedule. They're on yours. Hey, no, something came up. Yeah, what if now. you got diarrhea? <laughs> exactly. I think back in the 80s, and obviously I was too young, I wasn't in the workforce then, but maybe everyone just started and stopped at the same time. Like, that would be the biggest pain today is no one works like a straight, I always get in and always leave at the same time. Maybe it was all unionized and they they left right at the that was part of their contract. Maybe so. I love that Jinx the boss is in the carpool though, so like he's not even making enough he's not even making enough money that he can uh, afford to drive himself. Like they have to he has to like penny pinch gas money out of these other three. It's terrible. They um so by the way, do we feel like Jack's wife may be a little too hot for him? Because my only familiarity with Terry Gar is like in her current Erica Ender's weight. Yeah. Oh god. I'd never <laughs> seen her young and thin, but I was like, huh. She she looked good in this movie. Yeah. About this five count, years. Mike. Five years after this movie, Ron Richardson not interested. <laughs> Don't discount Michael Keaton either. And consider this is 1983, so all the standards were about everything a notch and a half lower. <laughs> He gets to work, and we get the amazing assembly line scene. So everybody, they're in the car, and they're they're shaking down Jeffrey Tambor. Like, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? So they're they're planting the seed that there's some kind of layoffs or change coming. He gets yeah, to the assembly on, line, and now he's talking to the common men. To be clear, this is like a like a depression or whatever, right? This isn't just the auto industry. No, this is this is like the 1980s economic crash. That's what I thought. Okay, and I believe sure. there was also a gas crisis at the time, which is probably why they were carpooling or gas uh, gas panic going on. I had that the other day in church. <laughs> it worked out fine. Yeah, social distancing. He has this hilarious conversation with the assembly line workers, where he's trying to make the most basic of analogies, which is. It's like Rocky, you're down, but you're not out. But these guys will not allow him to get the analogy out because they're so hung up on which Rocky he was watching. They're shaking him down for details that he can't answer. And the takeaway from the conversations when he leaves is the three guys look at each other, they're like, yeah, he definitely didn't watch Rocky. Right, because they ask him something at the end that I don't think really had anything to do with Rocky, and he just kind of nodded and was like, oh, yeah, sure. They're like, yeah, he didn't watch Rocky. But my my long-lasting childhood memory of this is the line, was his manager dead or alive, which is default humor for my dad. Whenever we get into like a confusing situation where everybody has a pitch, they're like, look, was his manager dead or alive? <laughs> Just like, like one of those uh, short number of movies on rotation. Yes. I also believe he had jeans on at this point, so I don't know what happened to the three-piece suit. He also had a he's, lab coat. Yeah, like he's in he a lab there. coat and jeans. He's out there creating vaccines for Ford. <laughs> <laughs> or Chrysler, or whoever was big in Detroit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they ever actually disclosed the uh, industry. So the reason he extricates himself from this conversation is he's stu- summoned over the loudspeaker into Jinx's office. Well, when he gets there, Larry, played by Christopher Lloyd, is choking Jinx <laughs> on his desk. This is why you always have witnesses and HR in the room when you fire people. Yes. There are so many great lines in this scene. Uh, Of course, you know, Jack Butler, Michael Keaton, comes in immediately, peacemaker. He's going, I can't believe you did it. You fired him after all these years. And then then I believe Stan blurts out, well, you're fired too. 
To which case, now Jack flips out and starts trying to ch- choke him. There's pandemonium insur- ensues. Uh, Jinx finally calms the situation down. He lets him know he's going to give him a refund uh, of this month's gas money. So that was pretty classy of Jinx. Yeah, and he divides it up with, down to like the, the scent. Yes. He's throwing out bills on the, on the table or on the desk, and he's got like a quarter for each one of their piles. And then and then at, one, at one point, Christopher Lloyd attempts to kill himself. <laughs> yeah, because he, the uh, Jeffrey Tambor's character is like, "Hey, I, technically, you're not fired. You're furloughed. You get your severance. You get your pension. You get like a nice flower basket or whatever." And then Christopher Lloyd's like, "Or like, what else would you need?" And he's like, "I need disability." And then he goes <laughs> to the window to try to jump out. It's it's an amazing it's an amazing uh, scene. The uh, last line that Jeffrey Tambor says to Christopher Lloyd is, "Hey, keep that sense of humor. It's critical." <laughs> as they as they fast forward, of course, Larry, Stan, and Jack go out drinking. Jack's getting out of a cab in front of his house, or getting out of a yeah a cab they're sharing in front of his house. They're all drunk. They're making a joke about the keep that sense of humor line. The wife, of course, has gotten wind that he's been let go. She's got the kids all dressed up. They're there waiting for him. They appear to be dining on KFC. Yes. Was that a delicacy back then in 1983? I think it might have been a sponsor because there was definitely product placement because later in the boardroom at the Richardson Agency, there's also KFC buckets everywhere. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. so. That's, that's a trash chicken place. They, they got True. their... Wow. Okay, so shoot on shoot on KFC here. All right, <laughs> KFC f- faithful listeners. Over so. KF over KFC, they're debating, and the wife mentions Carolyn mentions like, well, hey, maybe I could get a job too. He offers her a hundred to one that he can get a job before she does. What a terrible line that is. He didn't even specify what kind of job. Yes, she could have gone out and done a trick and won a hundred dollars. <laughs> And that would be worth it. Well, yeah, yeah, she probably would have made more than that. Did you see her? For all the, uh, for all the phenomenal wifely work that Carolyn is doing, getting everything together, boy, Jack has no time for her wanting to get a job. He's laughing, high-stepping all over the place. Just, you got no shot. <laughs> Hundred well, to she, one. She adds that she has some prior experience and she has a college degree in 1983 which to be honest that that's was in the minority of people that that had that at the time like she's a great candidate to get into the workforce 100 to 1 is vegas is never i mean the field odds are 35 to 1 yes this this is a terrible line this is lincoln hawk's bad (laughs) style of betting oh so yeah, Caroline and as Dave mentions, to keep the narrative going, literally the next scene, she instantly has a job, <laughs> and she's getting ready for her first day. We're gonna get we're gonna get a lot further into this down the road, and when we talk in detail about Ron Richardson and the Richardson Franklin Agency, but dude, he may be a, a business genius. This guy. Everywhere is laying off. Like throughout the movie, there's no jobs anywhere. Man, they're hiring people. He's he's got all sorts of stuff. They got a private plane. They yeah, ordering KFC for every meeting. 
everyone, it's, his agency's recession-proof somehow, which, from coming from ad agencies, we know they're the first thing to go when there's a, any kind of economic downturn. So, there's a lady that works at the agency that I don't get her name, so I just called her The C, but I don't know what C stands for, so we'll just say, like, Carol. But her she is definitely Eve. not a fan of Carolyn coming in uh, to the agency because Carolyn refers to him as Ron, the boss, and the C lets him know nobody calls him Ron here. They call him Mr. Richardson. Mm. But she lets her know that during her interview, she was advised to call him Ron, yeah. which I haven't seen it before. I know immediately where this is headed <laughs> already. <laughs> The great Ron Richardson, played by Martin Mull, also my my I feel like his most famous work was probably his Gene Parmesan on Arrested Development. Okay, <laughs> oh, the private investigator. But no, I mean he's been in everything, and just clearly like hands down my favorite character in this movie. She, she her first day of work. Um, she walks right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they didn't. Apparently, they skipped orientation this day. <laughs> she didn't have to fill out the W nine. Well, they throw her right into a meeting. Orientation is when they cover the sexual harassment policy, which this company has none. <laughs> so they they throw her they throw her right uh, right immediate immediately into uh, this meeting, and there's people smoking. The room's just full of smoke. And they're trying to debate uh, something that I know we all debate a lot, which is they have to figure out a way to sell more tuna fish. Yes. Schooner tuna. They, uh, everybody's just extremely rude to her. She's flustered. I mean, it's, not, it's not an aus- auspicious start to the day. There are a lot of HR violations happening in this meeting. Well, two things I want to point out about this movie. One is... Obviously, you join the meeting in progress. Lots of argument and opinions being thrown around. They ask Ron. Ron's got a big bag of nothing, man. He's like, they're like, what's your opinion? He's like, I think we should sell some tuna fish. <laughs> but he has no opinion on the actual thing. So then he asks Carolyn, right? So they have their creatives, like, storyboarded all over the room. And he asks Carolyn her first day, why don't you give us your opinion? And as... We all know when you're making an impression on your boss and he asks your opinion, the way to advance your career is simply say, I'm not qualified, (laughs) which is what Carolyn says. It's a bold strategy. (laughs) But then they basically have her get up and and analyze it, but... It doesn't really go anywhere. She kind of looks at it and she's like, well, this one doesn't work, this one doesn't work, and... Uh, I like this one, and somebody goes, well, you're brand new. How would you have the answer? And and I think she says, well, when was the last time you were in a grocery store? And then like, that's like the end of the scene. Like yes. They don't resolve anything. So clearly you've never worked in an ad agency. Dave and I have. That's exactly what happens on a day-to-day basis. We sit around, we talk about things, we throw out really big questions that nobody answers, and then we go home. <laughs> that, that was pretty much a spot-on of a typical day in an ad agency. Oh, let's put ourselves in the mind of the consumer, but let's not uh, let's not actually talk about what would work for him. <laughs> you think her day's going bad? 
Jack has a debacle dropping the kids off at school. He goes the wrong way. Now he's at the grocery store. Nobody is this inept, are they? No. Well, I mean, he knocks not down something on every aisle. Like nobody yeah. does that. He also, and this is this is the only time I'm going to take a shot at Carolyn's top-notch homemaker skills. She apparently gave no detail on the shopping list because when he's at the uh, deli and he's asking for ham and cheese, like. She knows this is his first time. She gave him this huge rundown on the kid's nap schedule and everything. Like, I know Carolyn. She writes smoked ham, sandwich cut, you know. I think this was a plot hole. The other thing is that there are a lot of choices, but I also feel like even if you're in that position and it just says ham and cheese, you're just going to be like, oh, give me this. And they're like, well, list this one, list this one. You're just going to look like to the right and left and just point at one yes just give me that one that one then when you get home and it's like well you didn't get this one you're supposed to if you want that one put it on the list you wanted ham that's ham you wanted cheese this is cheese what else do you want from me i'm with you glenn i'm with you has any deli counter ever been that crowded in the history of grocery stores no there was there was more people there than at the airport at dulles and die hard too and they're all one foot away from him as he's trying to decide what cheese he wants. And everybody's just disgusted. He can't make up his mind. That is one thing I noticed in the the year of COVID is like, man, they're all really close to him. Um, he, he also uh, picks up a kid. Yeah, he grabs a kid that's not his. That, 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 is that what you do when you when you turn around and you expect to see your child and you see somebody else's? You just take whatever one's there? You just run around the store holding them like a hostage. He also, the kid's name was Steven. We don't know what happened to Steven because he drops him off with someone who's not his parent <laughs> and leaves. I'm not sure. In the, uh, in the parking lot after he's leaving, he mm. meets Joan. Oh, Joan. Did you know where this was going as soon yeah. as he meets Joan? Yeah. Uh, the, I, I, could, I could get the vibe of Joan pretty quickly. So she basically, we you learned a couple her, things about Irv Joan. was coming out with the mop, clean up in the parking lot. had <laughs> like the power Irv. washer out there. Clean up in the parking lot. I love it. We find out Joan's divorced because she makes a comment to another lady who's there. We also find out that when the kid pulls the gear shift in the station wagon down to drive, it goes backwards. So that was exciting. <laughs> hey, can we unpack real quick? What is Joan seeing Jack Butler, the unemployed engineer who can't find a job and has three kids? I think I think I think uh Jones just wanted to get that D is all <laughs> that's all I think. Joan just wants anything. Yeah. He uh she comes home from work that first night and he's giving the kids a bath and she mentions Ron a couple of times and Jack's kind of getting fired up a little bit about Ron, Ron already. And it's the first day. So I'm, I'm really getting excited to where this is headed. So the next scene, Ron's picking her up to tour a plant. So I don't know if they're touring a tuna plant or just another client's plant. Is this her second day on the job? This is her second day on the job. I can't imagine a worse idea than touring a tuna plant. 
Like, can you imagine how horrific that has to be? What that must smell like? Actually, don't answer that. I'm I'm more impressed with the fact that Carolyn has parlayed her college degree and a couple years of experience (laughs) into day one, I'm not qualified. Day two, owner of the company picking me up in a limo and taking me to a private plane. So Jack's already feeling a little emasculated by the limo, so he quickly devises a plan. He goes out in the backyard and grabs a chainsaw. Favorite favorite part of the movie. <laughs> it was I laughed several times, but I laughed out loud immediately at the sight of him walking in <laughs> with the goggles and the backwards hat and the chainsaw running in the house. <laughs> And he's, my, he's ha- he has the chainsaw running and trying to carry on a conversation with Ron. My note, as soon as this started, because I've watched this movie, you know, probably 50 times, I wrote, this is the best scene in the whole movie. And then as the scene was going on, I wrote, this may be the best scene in cinema. <laughs> His first question to Ron while the chainsaw is still running is, want a beer? And Ron's response, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> He's and like, then he says, Scotch. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he has an awesome hat in this scene that's like a lion's helmet. It's got the blue stripe down the middle and then the lion's logo on both like sides, which is very weird for a hat. I want to find this hat. And this is also where he mentions he's going to be doing some work around the house, a little rewiring. And he's like, oh, you're going to go 220? He's like, 220, 220, 221, whatever works. The Which facial is expressions from Ron and Carolyn make this scene because that's when Ron, you know, he's not buying it anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's not yeah. buying that. He knows act. he's a fraud. And then Carolyn comes down and and sees that Jack has completely changed gimmicks <laughs> mid Monday Night Raw, and she's not having any of it either. So the. 220-221, whatever it takes line was voted the most famous line in the movie. Okay. Michael Keaton has said in interviews that every person that's ever done any work for him since 1983 has said that line to him at some point during the engagement. <laughs> and it wasn't originally in the script. And believe it or not, the great Martin Mole, Ron Richardson, came up with it ad-libbed on the eighth or ninth take of the scene. Oh, and pulled him amazing. aside and said, you know, when I ask you the question, because the question about the wiring is in there, but he doesn't answer it. And he says, you ought to just deadpan it and say, 220, 221, whatever it takes. And <laughs> ended up being the most famous line in the movie. wasn't even in the script originally, which is incredible. Another that's one awesome. that's quoted multiple times around Tommy and myself. Anytime there's car work or anything going on. <laughs> and then... Uh, as they're leaving, another great line is issued. Well, well, first, Ron is super handsy with her when they're yes. leaving. He's got like his hand on her back and super just kind of handsy. guiding her into this shady limo of his. Oh, and so. uh, he, Jack calls out to her again, another line that's been issued no less than a thousand times by my father. If you call and I'm not here, I'll either be at the gym or the gun club. <laughs> And she's Which still I, she's still looking at him like you're you're an idiot. I'm, nobody's buying amazing. this. Amazing. Ironically, that's what Glenn calls his gym, the Gun Club. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they're on the private jet, the uh, Richardson Frankel private jet. Ron has champagne in an ice bucket on the plane because why not? And he immediately is going to tell Carolyn the two reasons that she's going to be successful in business. <laughs> <laughs> Reason number two is because you're incredibly attractive. <laughs> He also has a weird line in there. I mean, I've already alluded to the fact that she she seems to have a meteoric rise in her first two days at the company. But he says at one point in that thing, Ron says, if we can agree, you are an executive. <laughs> like, she's somehow gone from day one, I have a couple of years experience, to now you're an executive on the private plane because you're incredibly attractive. Man, it's, it's absolutely genius. It the uh, home scene is unbelievable. So he's trying to do the la- Jack Butler's trying to do the laundry, and he's way ahead of his time here. He basically on this episode in 1983 invents the Tide Pod. <laughs> That's a good point. So I guess, and again, you'll have to correct me because I was not doing my own laundry in 1983. I was barely alive. Apparently, there was several steps involved back then. You had to do a pre-wash. You had to do detergent. You had to add something else. So he decides, hey, I'm just going to combine all these together into one concoction and pour it in there. The, man's a, the man was ahead of his time. Yeah, but the the thing he didn't know is pouring them all at once is basically like... You turn turn it into a Timothy McVeigh type situation. <laughs> yeah, so the uh the concoction basically blows the uh blows the washing machine off of its uh anchor and has the water lines go and there's also a TV repairman there. They've got this crazy vacuum cleaner running around. There's an exterminator. Did you did you guys enjoy that that was a thing? Like someone coming to your house to repair your TV? Yes, I, in a I van that this... said TV repairman. Is that a real thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there used to be... I think there were people that would come to your house, and there were places you could take your TV to have parts repaired in it. And then... But now they're so cheap, you just throw them away. Oh, yeah. If TV breaks, I just throw it just I just throw it out on the road yeah somebody somebody will get that that's Glenn not has my like problem. box TVs in a closet just on standby if he needs another one <laughs> so he's got all these service people there a guy shows up to check the pilot light like what's that about I don't know yeah, that I guy was shook. a little weird too he was a little yeah. too chummy with the kids right out of the chute not <laughs> sure was, about that he was always trying to hold them keep them away from the washer <laughs> keep our eye on that one but yeah the pilot light thing definitely stood out like we got to call somebody for that (laughs) it's like a door and a match (laughs) so so um at some point whatever he's cooking there's smoke alarms going off he's spraying a fire extinguisher like into the air even though there's no fire it's just a pot that's smoking uh he delivers an rko to the vacuum cleaner out of nowhere (laughs) And the whole scene ends when the baby eats a can of chili. Yes. A lot a lot to, a lot happening in this scene. It was okay. You got the message across. Yeah. Yeah. I like, Things I like are the not chainsaw going chainsaw scenes a lot better. Going back to when he first took over, I could definitely relate to the uh 
not going in the carpool line backwards at school <laughs> specifically, but just the idea of doing something like that and the feedback is, hey, this isn't the way that mom does it. <laughs> and then my response being, do you see her here? <laughs> your your mom's off gallivanting with Ron Richardson. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Trying to make another you. <laughs> So, if it's okay with you guys, I think the next really meaningful scene is the Richardson Olympics, unless you have next. anything before we get no, there. That's it. No, you're good. This is amazing. Um, so, first of all, they have to go to a corporate event at Ron Richardson's house, which is this palatial estate in the mountains of Detroit, well-known <laughs> area. He's doing very well. Yeah. Things going very well. They uh, they immediately get there. I, I, I'm still assuming this is within her first two weeks. Ron mentions that she's been promoted. Obviously. She neglected to even mention that to Jack. And they find out that at this event, there's going to be a, 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 a corporate Olympics going on, which is essentially a massive relay race with all kinds of bits. Sounds like something Tommy's company would do anyway oh, yeah. to I've, waste a I've bunch of participated money. in these many times. They, Jack's already kind of had made the plan with Carolyn going in that they were going to just drop in and say hi and leave. Well, they're, he's trying to get out of there. Well, Ron expertly baits him into participating. Yes. By challenging his manhood in a, the most passive-aggressive way possible. He's like, well, hey, you should just hang out and watch with the other women. <laughs> Jack Butler's so, not going to stand for that. Jack Butler's not going to stand for that. He gets his sweatsuit on. He's out there stretching. And then it, he's tipped off by the other participants of like, oh, hey, by the way, you know you can't win this because you have to let the boss win. And Jack's kind of puzzled by this. Yeah, and he's going all out in the – it was like a – it wasn't a – did it start out with a sack race? At some point – Well, they were, running, uh, they were running like, with um, flipper, like uh, right. scuba flippers on their feet. And then riding a tricycle. Yeah. Well, he's trying hard. All these other guys, they're like, they're like selling like Shawn Michaels was against Hulk Hogan to, to fall out of this. I mean, they're taking ridiculous flip bumps when nobody touches them. They're also they're trying doing, to slow down Jack. Yeah. Yeah, they oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're messing with him, trying to keep him from winning. They're interfering with him. Which, by the way, side note, that doesn't make sense with the plot of the movie. Why would the other guys, they're sitting there, they're watching Carolyn just leapfrog all of them in the corporate ladder. They know if Jack wins, that hurts her career. Why aren't they trying to let him win? This is a great question. No, it makes a ton of sense. <laughs> Jack has the lead right at the very end. I mean, he's on a flat ground. He's walk. He's going to He's gonna just cruise at home and he takes the dive at the end winks at the wife lets her know he could have done it but he chose not to and then ron crosses the finish line in first and starts celebrating like the miracle on ice <laughs> as he's hoisted up by his co-workers yelling i did it <laughs> pointing yeah amazing just like i said spectacular acting <laughs> After this scene, the movie transitions into what I like to call the Depression era. This is, this is when Jack's starting up. to get really bummed. He's, he's beard. He's watching soap operas. 
like completely completely given up on life yeah there's some funny things that happened he uh he cooks a grilled cheese sandwich with an iron <laughs> he fixes the torn blanket with a stapler he beats a popcorn machine with a sword like a kid's <laughs> sword i don't even know what that was about and he's clear he's also starting to hang out with all the other housewives a lot more, including Joan. Oh, yes. They have a little poker game going. For That's what she'd want. <laughs> For uh, grocery store coupons. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think it would be enjoyable to be playing poker when every bet you have to announce, like, 18 things? <laughs> Coupon uh, related, yes. Yeah, cinnamon toast crunch coupon. <laughs> well, my my comment in my notes here was: How do they police string betting in this game? Because Joan makes a six uh, coupon bet where you never know. She doesn't announce her intention of raising. She just says, "I'm going to bet this coupon and this," and then there's a pause, and then she says, "And this." And I was like, at a casino, you'd be kicked out for that. They'd be like, "No, no, no, no." Once your bet it crosses the line, that's your bet. You can't go back and get another bet. That's not how this works. It's one of the more unstable poker scenes in movies, which is saying something. So Carolyn happens to walk in at the most inopportune time, which is when Joan kind of has her arm around Jack. She uh, basically clears the game, not intentionally, but everybody gets out of there. Now, what's funny about this scene, uh, if you guys caught this one, I'm going to give you... Did you notice a massive continuity problem in this scene? No, I didn't. All the, all the women leave without their kids, don't That's they? That's right. The, the living room's full of kids, and then all the women leave and get in a car without their kids. <laughs> That's right, because oh. they were in the living room when she first got there, right? Yeah. Well, it was also never... I mean, that is a continuity problem, but it was never explicitly said if those kids were all theirs or if they were just kids Jacks took from the supermarket. <laughs> so they uh, they transition nicely into a Jack Carolyn fight. Uh, he gives the great line of like, "Hey, you want to get into it? Let's get into it." <laughs> and she's like, "The house is a mess. You're a mess. You're fat." Yeah, oh yeah, the, that's a great line because he's talking about his beard and he says, look, the beard's in its transitional stage. When it comes in, it's going to look great. I thought that beard looked just fine the way fine. it was. And he said, he said I'm going to look like that actor, you know, and she said, Orson Welles. <laughs> and then he closes it with the greatest line, well, I'm going to go sleep on the fat couch if I can fit through the door. <laughs> The roles have truly reversed. Dude. So the next day, he's having a beer, watching uh, Young and the Restless or Days of Our Lives or whatever it is. Uh, Joan calls him, and he says, you know, like, hey, we had a fight. And then, like, she's immediately there. And it's all uh, very soap opera Very film. soap opera She's stripped down. Carolyn walks in. She has a gun. And at this point, you're like, okay, something's off here. You know, like, this is, there's something weird going on here. Um, she shoots him. There's a funny scene where he, like, lands, but he's, like, not quite in the body outline. Right. Why would the chalk outline already be there? <laughs> they didn't have one for the dog, though. I don't know if they forgot yeah. that. I don't do that for blind people. Yeah. 
Um, but he wakes up. He kind of wakes up. Clearly, he's having a dream. But he wakes up and he kind of decides that it's time. Like he, you can tell he's he's going to get his wheels back on now. Uh, but well, just isn't so. There a, in, I'm sorry, I don't have this in my notes, but I'm pretty sure isn't there a Ron Richardson appearance? And he asks, like, did you use a 45? Oh, yeah. And she does that. <laughs> right. What was the line exactly? It was 45, 46, whatever it took. <laughs> so great. Amazing. Yeah, Ron Richardson's looking at the body. He's like, dead gum, pal. What'd you use, a 45? Uh-huh. Um, but then we get the, uh, we go from the Depression era to the getting it back on track montage. Rocky theme. Mm-hmm. He's hosting an exercise class for all the housewives. He has an awesome Pistons hat on in this scene. He's got some great hats in this movie. He does. He's the crossing guard at school or the parking lane attendant, whatever. Yeah, he uh, he gets he burns his old shirt that he was wearing. He has a talk to the the younger of the two sons, not the baby. He gets the the whoopee. He gets him to give it up. What a great scene this was! Like as he's talking to him about getting rid of the whoopee but he's like basically giving it like he would be giving somebody that was like got it's caught like a, smoking a joint yeah gateway drug <laughs> speech he's like pretty soon you're strung out on bedspreads or he says quilts. you'll progress to a quilt oh just absolute genius and then so, he makes the fancy dinner oh yes the fancy dinner so here's what i was going to ask you guys so the wife's late coming home from work. I guess they don't... I, I'll give them, you know, that it's not the cell phone era, so maybe you're not in constant communication. But he's just sitting there, like, staring at his wine glass. Did they not, like, have DraftKings back then? Or... <laughs> Couldn't he have been sweating, like, a, you know, brewer stack? Or maybe get the West Coast late-night triple game pack well, going? A little late-night hammer. At the very least, you should be watching the... The Pistons get beat by 20 or something. So he, uh, she eventually comes home. He's, a, he's, a, he's upstairs in bed. She, you know, she sees the note. Then, then he comes down later, and she's sleeping on the couch, but there's like a full fire with like fresh logs burning, but she's asleep on the couch. I don't know. My Seems big, like a bad idea. My big takeaway to this whole scene is there's, there's a pretty strong implication that some sex took place. This night. Yes. Which I think is the first time in a while. Yeah. No, I think I think he uh this is there's no doubt this was uh probably getting the you know, getting the uh pipes cleaned out a little bit there. <laughs> you had to br- brush the dust off of it. Yeah, <laughs> knock the rust off of that. <laughs> Which part? <laughs> So we're back at the ad agency, and this is the big schooner tuna meeting, and the guys are coming out of the boardroom, and everybody's just beaten. Like, they don't know what's happened. This is, this is a disaster. Um, Ron comes out and is like, Carolyn, you're up. You're our ace in the hole. So remember, she's been promoted. She's doing really well in her career. Her whole pitch to schooner tuna, which, by the way, is a premium brand, is to lower their price by 50 cents a can. Which is not is not something the ad agency would pitch. Like, that's your internal, like, marketing and, right. you know, product Right, ad agencies are going to give you a pricing strategy, but 
I mean, again, not to get on a rant here, but do they want to do permanent irreparable damage to a premium brand in the for a short-term boost in sales by a pricing strategy? Well, here's another good thing. Is, I mean, did she not actually go to college and get a marketing degree? <laughs> when did the Richardson, Fink, what was it, Frankel Agency yeah. lose their confidence to the point of, like, listen, we're not good at our job enough to sell your tuna, so why don't you just cut the price a whole bunch? <laughs> but no, it was but for did... the benefit of society. You know, this reminds me the during COVID, so the Wynn Casino in Vegas, which is always the highest priced rooms on the strip intentionally because they're a premium brand, lowered their prices to $109 a night. All the riffraff came in. There's fights breaking out in the food court. There's people wheeling coolers of natural light through the casino lobby. They backed off of that plan within two weeks and went back to having the highest prices on the strip because the permanent damage to their brand wasn't worth filling the hotel up with riffraff. Do they really want riffraff buying schooner tuna, the tuna uh, with the heart? So I've just Googled how much did a can of tuna cost in 1983, and obviously it depends on brand and the size of the can and all that kind of stuff. But the reliable source of answers.com is telling me 25 to 50 cents. So they were just giving it away. So they were not only giving it away, they were maybe even giving you money on the way out. <laughs> you open up the can and there's like a nickel in there. It's that same nickel that Jinx was putting on the desk. <laughs> so of so, course the, 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 the idea gets completely bought. And they have to leave right away to film this commercial. Yes, which, of course, I mean, I guess it, I guess it makes sense in the the track of this movie because now she's the uber bigwig. But from the ad agencies early in my career, it was rare that you actually got to go on the commercial shoot. Like a lot of people worked on that client, but only the very select few got the privilege to go actually shoot the commercial. But you know, she's in her third week. Let's take Carolyn. They uh, are leaving on Halloween. Jack's all dressed up. The kids are all dressed up. They have a little bit of an argument about her leaving. You know, he's just giving her the whole guilt trip of like, hey, you know, you're missing out on your kids. You know, what's going on? And she's like, look, I have to go. I just convinced them to spend $11 million. Um Ron's waiting in the limo and at one point rolls the window down and is like, hey, can you hurry this up? We need to go. <laughs> it's classic. I love so Ron. So let me ask you guys this. And we've actually talked about this. The uh, neighborhood I used to live in, in Plano, did quite the uh, big Halloween. And my family and I have done some pretty, uh, pretty solid family costumes. I was pushing hard and we never did it because... My kids got to the age where they wanted to pick their own costumes and be Anna and Elsa and all that. I was pushing so hard one year to do the jailbird outfit that Michael Keaton have, had the very homemade cowboy and, you know, knight, and then have my wife in, like, the business suit, like, walking behind us. Would anyone have got it? Is this scene popular would you have, enough? Would you have paid for Ron to follow you in a limo? <laughs> and just every door was like, come on, we got to go, Carolyn. That one's, 
You would have been lucky to get one person. That one person would have flipped out, though. And it would have been worth it to you if one person did that appreciated it. But otherwise, it would have just been just confusion. Just, like, really poor costumes. Or like, yeah. These guys didn't even try. <laughs> the uh, uh-huh. only other interesting note from Halloween is they're out there in just suburban kid central and he runs into Joan who's like in the stripper slutty Halloween costume out there with the kids. What is she doing? What is wrong with her? She's out looking for a man. Jack the next day has to go to a meeting with Jeffrey Tambor. So this part of the movie is a little unclear because I think this was edited out or at least a lot of it was edited out of the version that we watched. But basically, he's having to go back into a meeting with, a, I, I'm assuming, some, some of the top people at the car company he used to work for to explain away some of Jeffrey Tambor's actions. So I think, and Dave, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think what happened is when Jack and his friends left, productivity went way down and costs went way up. And Tambor was wanting them to all go in there and lie and say, hey, it was like this before, we just didn't have the books right. And not yeah. say that it actually matter. Basically, basically let Tambor off the hook so he can keep his job by 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 taking one for the team. You essentially got the feeling that Tambor Jinx. Yeah, Jinx was a uh, Jinx laid off everyone doing the actual work and claimed. I think he probably took credit for a lot of the work that Christopher Lloyd and Michael Keaton were doing. And then once they left, and the work wasn't getting done he uh he had to kind of backtrack and try to plausibly explain why here's a problem i had with this scene so he's obviously made friends he's had he's had the uh the mothers of the neighborhood over with their kids joan gave him his her phone number said any time wouldn't this be a time to call in the babysitting favor rather than take all three of your kids to this meeting? Uh, yeah. But we don't that, get the uh, tambour uh, kind of sniping at the kid a little bit. And then Jack lets him know, if you talk to my kid again like that, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> Such a great line. Which is amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. That was almost it. He, uh, he he's trying to like change the baby's diaper in the bathroom, and he's holding her up to the <laughs> the dryer vent. And then, of course, like the I, we'll just say the CEO of the car company and Jinx like walk in the bathroom, and Jinx has this amazing reaction when he realizes like, hey, this guy that just dressed me down has now lost all credibility. So he's yes. very smug in this scene. Yes. Have you guys ever used the? The air dryer in a public bathroom to dry off your kid? No. Have you? No. It's a good idea, though. It is. Yeah, it's a decent, decent idea. He, uh, he goes to dinner with the ladies, the other moms of the neighborhood, I guess, to celebrate almost getting his job back. And then they trick him afterwards to stay out later, and they take him to, uh, I guess, Chippendales? Yeah. And I knew where this was headed, and I feel like other movies have copied this. Like, Mr. Mom was probably the original one. But as soon as they forced him into the car, I was like, they're taking him to a male strip club, is what they're doing. Wow, where, where did you, how did your mind go there? 
And what's wrong I think with about you? about ninety percent of the day? I understand. I mean, so do I. Maybe not ninety percent, but a majority of the time. There's, it's just a silly scene. But Joan like gets up on the stage and is just like getting after it, dancing. Just further proof that she's just out of control. Her Indeed. libido is out of control yeah, at this point. She, yeah. <laughs> the next scene is the second greatest scene in this movie. So Are we going to the hotel. Yeah. So he he's he's on his way home. So yeah, just to level set. So this is all happening concurrently. He's out there, you know, doing this meeting with Jeffrey Tambor. Then he goes out. This is the day she's filming the commercial in L.A. She kind of has to step in and save the day. They're happy with what they got. She's now back at the hotel in the tub relaxing. Dave, take it away. So we get the, uh, we get Carolyn in the tub in the bubble bath, you know, the very PG tub scene, but it lets you know. And... In walks Ron, and at first I thought he was wearing a bathrobe, but he's wearing like a blue suit. And apparently, you can just get hotel room keys to other people's rooms. That's so what I was thinking about. He, he walks in. He's got the the cart with the champagne. He's setting, turning on music, which Carolyn kind of hears and is instantly a little unsure of what's happening. So. Michael Keaton's home. He's relieving the babysitter. He, the kids want to call mom. So they call. And who answers the phone to mom's room but Ron <laughs> Richardson? <laughs> and I forget the exact dialogue, but I know it's very... Uh, does he say it's Ron Richardson or does he not? No, no he, it's even better than that. So he, yeah. the kid says Kenny or whatever or Alex. And he's, you know, Alex who... And then Alex hands the phone to his dad and says, I don't know, some guy answered the line. So I'm sure, you know, Jack's like thinking maybe they dialed the wrong number. And he says, Ron says, like, who is this? And he says, is Carolyn Butler there? And Ron answers, she's in the tub. Who is this? <laughs> wow. So Jack's off the phone. He's He's ticked. Carolyn comes out of the tub and sees Ron there, and she's not exactly like as shocked as I wanted her to be. She's just yeah, kind of no like, kidding. Ron, just, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, like I mean, uh, she should have come out of there just MFs flying, you know, screaming, but she's very uh, docile about the whole thing. Like, she's still thinking things through. One, uh, one other note in here is Babysitter, who's one of the women in the group, is still around and witnesses one side of the phone call because she informs Joan later that things may be a little rocky and I'm not talking about the movie. <laughs> so, um, Jack's freaking out. He, uh, Carolyn's trying to call back. I don't think, he, I don't think she knew the, that they called. The I TV think, or what's that? Doesn't he like throw a shoe through the TV? Well, he kicks oh, the yeah. TV, which is another continuity problem. First of all, he kicks it on the side, like where the control knob is. The screen breaks. His shoes are both on his feet, but when the TV repairman comes, there's a shoe in the middle of the TV. Maybe Seth Rollins stomped it later. <laughs> the, um, well, no, actually, maybe he gave it some sweet chin music, you know? <laughs> they, uh, I don't think Carolyn knew that they were the ones that called. 
but she's calling home because I think she's just so over, you know, because we find out later, you know, she punched Ron and quit her job, and I'm sure she's calling to say that, but Jack's not having it because he thinks she knew he called and's freaking out. Well, she's um, calling Jack. I mean, she's advertising. She's like, do you think branding me too would, would catch on? Yeah. <laughs> you think that's like, I've got this idea for a movement. Um, so, of course, the, the lady that's babysitting is friends with Joan, so she goes over the next morning to tell Joan what's going on. So while Carolyn's flying home on a commercial jet now, she's not on the private jet. So at least they got that continuity right. He tried to give her the private jet the night before. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it that the TV repairman's back, and she's got like out like a multimeter and all these things. Like the TV's completely smashed. And it's like she's trying to troubleshoot it. I don't know. To save everything back then. Yeah. So Joan's there. So then Jack uh, goes to take a shower because why not? I mean, isn't that what you usually do when your female friends come over? Like, hey, I'm going to go take a shower. I'll be back in a minute. He's doing the, uh, his version of the Travolta speech from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> this is if, a you good scene if you could have interspersed that dialogue into this scene, it would have been a better movie. Yeah. I'm going to go out but, there and drink my drink. <laughs> but instead, he's going through the ABCs of why not to do, why not to do it with Joan. And she's uh, just lounging on his bed with a nice bottle of Jack Daniels, Tennessee's mm. own, my, uh, my home state. Jasper Newton. He, uh, he finally uh, exits the bathroom, but Carolyn's there now. She's thrown Joan out. And, uh, and, of course, she's pretty upset about why Joan's laying on their bed. There's another great line here, one of my favorites. He's mad. He says, I called the hotel room last night. Ron answers the phone, and I hear champagne chilling in the background, and her response is, you heard that? <laughs> the ears Which is kind of Michael a great Keaton. point. Genius. Yes. He's got but amazing I, hearing. I think he didn't really know. He just mentioned it, and when she basically admitted that that was the case. He's like, I knew it. <laughs> oh, this guy's man. got just razor sharp, razor sharp hearing. But I also want, want to raise that obviously uh, Carolyn would be upset that she gets home and there's another woman laying in their bed. <laughs> the, you know, the bed was made. She wasn't under the covers. I think she would be equally upset with the fact that apparently he's purchased an entirely new bedroom suit <laughs> without consulting her. Like, I think that would be equal frustration there. And I'm not totally bought into his design aesthetic here. I think he might have made some, I think he might have made some mistakes. It was some sort of safari theme. It's got like the mosquito netting. Yeah. I'm not sure, I'm, weird. I'm, sure I'm buying into all that. So can we take a quick moment for... Counterpoints with Point Break Dave. Okay. So obviously we've we've vilified Joan, we've vilified Ron Richardson. Let me throw this out there. Jack Butler lost his job. He can't get another job. I'm assuming his you know, he's had a long career as an engineer at this car company. He was probably doing fairly well financially. We're now focusing on a couple years experience, years ago, wife, 
to suddenly pick up the entire slack of paying the bills. Should he maybe be okay with however she's getting to the top? Should he maybe kind of tap out and be like, listen, we're in a weird spot here. We need some money. Yeah. It's going to take Ron just wallowing all over it. <laughs> but Ron doesn't just want that. He, he, When they're in the hotel room, he's like, okay, you need to leave Jack. We'll get married. She's like, are you in love with me? He's like, oh, God, no. But <laughs> But that's what we need to do to progress the brand and the company. And she's going to be like a, a partner in this advertising firm and she gives the immediate yeah i think i'm gonna be good yeah richardson frankel richardson yeah (laughs) has a nice ring to it this is really the last scene of the movie now and it's total pandemonium i mean everything is happening all the repair people are back jinx shows up He's trying to offer jack his job back because they figured out that you know he he can't do it like the Higher ups oh, yeah. at the company figured out he can't do it. He this is crazy. This whole yell, scene yells at one of the kids during while well, he's trying to give Jack his job back. Jack punches him out while he's laying on the ground. He asks Jack if he wants a company car. This is like the Book of Job. Like everything's coming back tenfold on Jack here. It's a Bible <laughs> reference since we're a faith based podcast. It's true. Ron's back over there. His nose is all bandaged up. He's got flowers. He's trying to talk Carolyn into coming back to the agency because Schooner Tuna is going to pull the account if she doesn't come back. They happen to all in the middle. Like, I mean, it, we're 25 minutes into the Royal Rumble here, kind of craziness going on. And what happens to come on the TV right in the middle of this? Schooner Tuna Ed. And do we feel like this is probably the most unrealistic part of the movie that they shot the commercial literally the day before <laughs> and they've managed to edit and traffic the spot yes. in less than 12 hours? Also, what, what TV are they watching? <laughs> Did the TV suddenly get repaired? You got the shoe out of there. <laughs> Hey, after she gave that pep talk when they were filming the commercial, one take, it was good. Good to go. Yeah. Man, this movie's so great. Yeah. But overall, so many great scenes, so many great lines came out of this movie, and all in in, in a under hour and a half presentation, you're going to get two thumbs up from this guy for Mr. Mom. Now, this is my first time through it, and I liked it. Um, it's simple, straightforward, 90 minutes or less. Good 80s movie. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely getting a thumbs up. I, yeah. I haven't seen it enough to appreciate some of the other subtle nuances of the movie and didn't celebrate it growing up like I did some of the other movies we reference constantly, but I still enjoyed it. Yes, and... The older I get, the more I appreciate how seedy Ron Richardson was. Oh, my gosh. He could only exist in a company he owned. <laughs> At some point, he's got to be a lawsuit liability, though, right? Even, even as the owner of the company where they, they say, like, look, we, we, can't, we, can't have, we can't have this going on. There's just, there's just going to be too many. You know, he's got, the, he's got the office with the Matt Lauer button under his desk. <laughs> There was the under in the Cubs game, boys. 
Good oh, times. So that that was the uh, odd reaction. It wasn't yes. because you're a big fan of Ron Richardson. <laughs> I am a huge fan of Ron Richardson. <laughs> but honestly, like they should just instead of like the poorly produced HR videos they make you watch now, they should just show clips of Ron Richardson <laughs> when he's just constantly like always touching uh carolyn like all right guys you can't you can't do this it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, not how this works it's not how any of this works but what a great movie christopher lloyd i would have liked to see more of him i think that's fair he's in like two scenes oh if they wanted to spin this off into like a netflix series of just working at the plant with christopher lloyd jeffrey tambor and michael <laughs> keaton Sign like me up a, for every season. Do a prequel of just them when when times are good. Yes, making cars. Sign me up for every episode of that show. I think we're a little we're a little late for that. I mean, they're all still around, but I don't, yeah. I don't think it's going to have the same effect. I, I think there was some sort of a spinoff that was a a very briefly aired sitcom based on this movie pretty recently if i read correctly but i don't it didn't last very long yeah so this I, this is hard to replicate now cuz i mean think about trying to make this movie today with all the gender stereotypes and everything that's going on you like this movie is unmakeable in 2020 yeah i was wondering i i meant to look this up to see if there was some kind of slow like the start of you know the stay at home dad and the career mom like was this starting to happen or was this movie just like a hey this would be funny and then like obviously now that's not that uncommon but well no they're saying i mean they said in one of the one of the articles i read that this was actually really groundbreaking because it it portrayed the woman as capable of going out and getting a corporate job which is crazy but i guess in 1983 yeah, i mean that was that was, that was groundbreaking. Parts. <laughs> 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 it was groundbreaking cinema. I don't know. Uh, sign me up. I'll I'll Stay flip home. the switch. I'll flip the switch tomorrow. Dude, no joke. <laughs> Especially in my current situation. Like in the movie, you got three of them. One of them is a baby. That's different. That might be more of a. Uh, get back to me in two or three years. Like current situation, absolutely. Tomorrow, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till they start going back to in person school. But then I'll <laughs> gladly take the reins. My fellow Americans, I am Howard Humphrey, president of Schooner Tuna. All of us here at Schooner Tuna sympathize with those of you hit so hard by these trying economic times. In order to help you. We are reducing the price of schooner tuna by 50 cents a can. When this crisis is over, we will go back to our regular prices. Until then, remember, we're all in this together. Schooner tuna. The tuna with the heart. <laughs>